listening to Contesting Wrestling Premium. Uh, it's just me and Ben today. We wanted to do yeah. a, we wanted to do a show or maybe a couple Real of shows intimate. that were important to us um, that we attended uh, that are, were formative to our development, and uh, we wanted to take a look at them through critical eyes. Yeah, especially and, uh, since we did those two 2004 WWE pay-per-views. You know, that was at a point yeah. where w- WWE wasn't doing it for us. Right, really not. And we were watching it, but yeah, we needed we needed something else. We needed more wrestling, which is might be a really difficult concept for like younger fans to understand. Right, with the the glut of wrestling you can have. If you're just into the WWE, there's the endless depths of the WWE network. If you're into indie wrestling, there's you know IWTV and WNN and all of these you know just YouTube portals. to begin with. Uh, YouTube, like we uh, had YouTube, but it didn't have the stuff on it that it does now. Yeah, we didn't really we didn't really have YouTube. We had the internet. Yeah. You know, we didn't have social media yet. There were message boards. If you if you were so inclined, um, yeah, this is even pre MySpace, like just yeah, yeah, just pre MySpace, like MySpace, yeah. Uh, so, so it was a whole different world. If yeah. you wanted more wrestling than just what was on television, you had to work for it. There was the there was the tape trading scene, which is ex- you know, I think people might think, oh, what does that exactly mean? It means exactly what it sounds like. People would trade VHS tapes by regular mail. You know, they there would be pen pal listings in the back of wrestling magazines of people that would have tapes. There would be bootleggers that would be recording VHS tapes from Japan and distributing them. And no, nobody would like get caught because it's not like there'd be any distribution anyway. We had no idea where to get any of this. No, I'm sh- you know, you know, we, you know, we should ask. We should have gone to Chinatown and asked the guys that sold grainy anime. Because hmm. we could, I yeah, I could find anime, known. but yeah. not wrestling. But I never got into anime. I got into wrestling. I had the friends who would go down to Chinatown and get the Dragon Ball Z tapes and stuff back as early as junior high school. I wasn't into it. Dragon Ball Z, man, it was just too slow for me. Right. I just it's just episode after episode of them just posturing, getting ready to fight. And uh, no, no actual fight. Finally, after like 12 episodes. They'd have the pay-per-view or what? Yeah, yeah I know. It was a lot yeah. like wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> um, but well, we should get right into this show because yeah, there's a yeah, yeah. lot to so it. So uh, 2004, this is December of 2004. Just to give yeah. a little background, you know, Doc and I had become friends about a year or so before this. We had watched all of the VHS tapes that we both owned over the summer of 2003, <laughs> I believe. Oh boy, yeah, oh two, oh three. We had successfully uh, transformed our chilling situation into a wrestling watching situation with our friends. It was a task, and uh, at this point, yeah, you know, WWE, we, we could tell that that things were kind of in a slump, that uh, things were changing, and um, we tried going to some indie shows. We had been to a couple of indie shows, like dirty, shitty ass indie shows, which were lots of fun. Lots of fun, yes. Um, but if you've never been to an indie show, go to any indie show once the quarantine is yeah. over. Oh, any one of them. Speaking of you which, th- it is uh, January second. Happy New Year! It's officially twenty twenty one. I woke up. I woke up this morning, and I was like, "All right, 
first day of 2021. Let's get this off on the right foot. Now, besides the fact that it was 1.30 p.m., it was also not the first day of 2021. <laughs> it was already January 2nd, I discovered Fantastic. to my chagrin. What happened to January 1st? I don't know, man. I, I watched fucking five hours of this goddamn oh. show. That's what happened. Oh, All yeah. Right. I watched so. about two hours of it on the first and the rest of it today. Actually, most of it I watched on the second because I started watching around like 9, 9.30. And I suddenly yeah. realized what I did not realize beforehand, that this show is fucking four and a half hours long. Like, the show itself wasn't actually four and a half hours long. There was a lot of extra stuff. On the DVD, I'm pretty... promo packages um, and uh, storyline uh, fill-ins that, you know, they, don't, they didn't have a TV show or a regular web show or anything that could get this out. So that's how, where they had to put it. Nonetheless, up. I think the show was pretty close to four and a half hours. Because remember, they're cutting out most of the intermission, you know, and, 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 and other kinds of breaks between the matches. It was at least a four-hour show, I'd say. It was, yes. And so, yeah, so I ended up being up to like three in, in the morning, stopping and starting to like watch things back. Uh, and there were things that I wanted to watch back. It's full of great stuff. It's, you know, so, okay. So back in 2004, we're getting tired of, of the wrestling that the WWE and the wrestling that's available. Uh, we went to a couple of indie shows. They were interesting and fun, but didn't really uh, set our imaginations on fire. Then, um, what, reading just the regular wrestling news sites, I remember I, I knew about Ring of Honor from our friend Zach, as I've talked about before on this podcast, uh, about a year before he had smartened me up to the indie scene. So I knew of Ring of Honor, um, but we, I hadn't seen any of it, really. And then um, we re I read Mick Foley. I don't know if you read it first and sent it to me or what, but we came upon this article by Mick Foley talking about how there had been these two matches, these two one-hour draws between CM Punk and Samoa Joe. I don't know if Meltzer had given them five stars by that point or not. The second one he gave five second. stars, yes. The that, that actually opened a lot of eyes. The first five-star match in the United States since 97, I think. Yeah, Meltzer wasn't a big fan of the Attitude Era. His eyes were over in Japan watching, you know, watching Misawa and Kobashi. Yeah, well, that was correct because... As we've established, well, the yeah. Attitude Era from a wrestling perspective sucked major ass. <laughs> so, okay. So, um, we read this article by Mick Foley lauding these one-hour draws between CM Punk and Samoa Joe. And then we find out that the third match is going to be in Edison, New Jersey at a Ring of Honor show. Now, we didn't know how the fuck to get to Edison, New Jersey. We don't drive cars or have cars. No, we are New York City kids. I mean, I now do drive yeah. a car. But at the time, I was 19. You're also well into your 30s by now. Right, right. Yeah. I was not yet 20 at this point. I was just just shy of 20. Um, and uh, so we, what did we, did we take the bus? No, we took New Jersey Transit train. Um, okay. the, the Northeast Corridor line goes right there. At, well, it goes right to Edison. And then we had to take a taxi. From there okay. to the venue and back, um, it wasn't it wasn't too long or too expensive, but it is something we had to plan out. It was harder to get to than the Elizabeth, New Jersey venue we saw Jersey All Pro Wrestling shows at. Well, we would that take the just, train there too. We took the train there, and then we could walk from the train station to the venue. Yeah, yeah. 
That's different. The main problem was like whether we'd be able to catch the train home because we had no idea how late these things were going to go. Again, on the, the, the length of the show, you know, I think we, we made no, it's it. A, it's a Elizabeth, New Jersey. Um, this one is the this one. This one's Elizabeth, the, New Jersey. The Rexplex was Elizabeth. The uh, Rex was Center the, was, was Rawway. Jersey Opera Rahway, was in Rawway. Right, Edison, I think we never went to Edison. They had Ring of Honor shows, too. Right, we didn't go to Edison. Like, the, the final battle with uh, Loki and Kenta, I think, was in Edison. That right, was a little far. missed that one. Yeah. So, yeah, so we, we fucking <sighs> went on New Jersey Transit. We got to fucking Elizabeth, New Jersey, home of Jay Lethal. Um, we didn't know that yet. We didn't know who Jay Lethal. Oh no, we did know who. Maybe we we saw Jay. Lethal we had seen at Jay one Lethal. of the USA Pro shows. We saw him wrestle the Amazing Red. Yeah. Um. Okay. So we get there to Elizabeth. It's like a skate park for kids. Yeah, it was a full skate park, an arcade kind of compound with all, all kinds of stuff for. For kids to go and stay out of trouble, you know, and go to a place like the Rexplex. It wasn't open for and much longer after this. It was a packed gymnasium. How many people you think they held there? Like a thousand? You know, I don't think it was quite a thousand, but I think it was 800. Um, it was it was like it was a big show. And, you know, if you go to a, these days when you go to an indie show, I mean, these days, you don't go to indie shows. Uh, but when you went to indie shows over the last few years, if there was more than a couple hundred people there, it seemed like a really big show. This was bigger than that. Yeah. The production was, value yeah. was already way better than any of the indie shows we'd seen. They had their yeah. logoed barricades along the ring. Everything was black and red. Definitely looked like a much more professional production. Um, so the other thing, the other big draw besides Joe and Punk was uh, Jim Cornette and Bobby Heenan were going to appear. Right. And now, Cornette and Heenan were, were the two like biggest managers of the previous 20, 30 years, uh, but they had never really worked in the same place at the same time. So that was a big, that was like kind of a big deal. They were both free agents and, you know, they made several appearances together uh, on the indies because it was very novel. So the, the video of this show starts with Cole Cabana in the back doing his Great Times, Great Memories uh, gimmick. Good times, great memories with Colt Cabana. Good times, great memories. And uh, he's got... Um, what the... F why did I write prostitute bill? Oh. Um, it was one of the bills he couldn't he pay. He couldn't pay. He <laughs> missed a few shows and he didn't make money. Right, he couldn't pay his gas bill, couldn't pay his electric bill, couldn't pay his prostitute bill. Um, Colt Cabana was a big fan of uh, comedy. You know, he still is a big fan of comedy. Yeah. Um, and he was doing, he was trying to do like a stand-up comedian routine, uh, talk show host routine. And this is what he thought that was at the time. Except he wasn't a trained comedian. He was a football player who became a wrestler who liked to watch a lot of comedy. Right. There's a difference there. And as we still. find when he brings on Bobby the Brain Heenan, and I think as you yeah. texted me, um, he could not keep up with the brain. No, there's all. a very simple uh, there's a very simple concept when you're trying to do any kind of improv, which is just yes and you take whatever whoever you're with, you take whatever they offer, you accept it, and then you build on it. And every time Heenan said something to Cabana, Cabana went, What? <laughs> no, no, it isn't. What? Yeah. Uh, I mean to it be fair wasn't, yeah. it was a little bit hard to understand Heenan at times. He had a little he bit. just recovered from mouth cancer. Um yeah, yeah, I love Jimmy Jacobs comes in and they, he talks about his hair Jordans because he had the fuzzy boots. The fuzzy boots, right. Does Heenan say something about renting Jacobs out? 
I couldn't quite catch the, like <laughs> I didn't quite catch it. I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe. All right. Well, anyway, uh, so we get ready for the show. When we went to the show, the very first thing that happened, I remember, was CM Punk coming out and addressing the crowd as kind of like the locker room leader. Um, and he was also the head trainer of the wrestling school at that point. So I don't remember anything of what he said. But I remember thinking it was this cool kind of like community vibe. Like he came out yeah. like, I'm going to you know address everybody because we're all part of the same family kind of deal. I remember being very impressed by that. And it, it did seem when you were there that everybody was there. There were a lot of regulars. People knew what was going on. They knew who all the guys were. Uh, and it took a lot of work to keep up with that, and everybody did. There was a real sense that this was the cool new thing that we were getting turned on to, and that was really cool Yeah, because we needed it. Oh, no, it was intoxicating. I mean, this show had a lot to do with how we spent our time for the next you know, five years and, and beyond. Yeah, un- until uh, now. Yeah, right, right. Really until now yeah. in a lot of ways, but especially in terms of Ring of Honor, you know, like that was became our our main focus of interest. Yeah. I, you know, I was in college at the time I got into grad school and yeah, you know, I cared about grad school. <laughs> but the main thing I was thinking about during those first couple of years was, oh, shit, Danielson's going to fight Kenta. Oh, right. shit, Danielson's <laughs> going to fight Morishima. You know, all right. So um, then we get a promo with uh, Alice in Danger, who's not done with Moff and Whitmer. She's going to go after Dan Moff and BJ Whitmer and try to get them to sign off on having a fight without honor match against the Carnage crew. So that that storyline is sort of weaved throughout the show. Yeah, that, that was kind of the, the dying gasps of uh, of the storyline that was really anchored by Christopher Daniels, who had to leave the company. And, um, well, you know, oh, that's right. The prophecy. Right. Right. Yeah, right and Alice right. and Danger owned their contracts. A lot of like a lot of business based stuff that wasn't true, um, but was really like it, the kind of stuff that's played out now. But it wasn't at the time. So uh, to give the listeners a little bit of background, ROH was in still very much in a transitional period at this point. Uh, in 2004, earlier in 2004, I think at the beginning of the year. Uh, Rob Feinstein, who was one of the main owners of Ring of Honor, and you know his RF video company basically funded it and put out the videos, um, was caught by To Catch a Predator soliciting an underage uh, person. And um, so he was basically kicked out of the company, or at least uh, ostensibly at first. Yeah, eventually they got him completely out of the company. It was it was hard for them to completely make that transition. He was really the driving force behind getting the company off the ground. RF Video needed something to do after ECW folded because they were putting out they put out the ECW fan cam series, and Ring of Honor, you know, was was uh, what ended up happening. So, th- uh, but they got Feinstein out. They got um, Feinstein out, but not before TNA decided to pull all of their mutual talent with Ring of Honor. So none of the TNA, so AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, you know, a lot of their heavy hitters just had to leave immediately. And good to, you know, Gabe Sapolsky's booking, he didn't want to just drop things completely, you know? So he had things like this Alice in Danger storyline to try and tie up, to some degree, some of the loose ends. 
Well, Gabe in 2004, like the way he handled all of that was masterful. He lost a bunch of like main event guys. So he just made a bunch of new main event guys. You know, they did the Generation Next angle, which I won't go into too detail here because we have to get on to this show because there's so many <laughs> matches on it. Um, but he he saved the company. It is to the testament of the talent. And one of the reasons that made Ring of Honor work so well in the mid 2000s was there was a lot of available top level young talent yeah. because with the WWE absorbing WCW and ECW there was no room for a lot of new young talent to enter the big leagues, so they just had to swell somewhere else. And Gabe had a great happened. eye for it. You know, he knew who to push Still when. does. Absolutely. And that's why WWE is apparently putting him in charge of, like, NXT Junior. Or, like, the, the NXT yeah. to NXT, as it were. And there's no they one can, They can do, do infinite it. levels of that. Yeah. All right. So opening match, we've got the whole effin the whole refin show, Ref Hansen, uh, as the ref. Uh, f- the the refs for this whole show, I think, are, are Hansen, Todd Sinclair, uh, and Paul Turner. Still with Ring of Honor. Yeah, and Paul Turner is an AEW now. AEW, yeah. Okay. So we get the ROH graduates, like the first class of ROH graduates under CM Punk as head trainer. Davey Andrews, Shane Hagedorn, Anthony Franco, and Matt Turner. Now, I did not remember Franco or Turner at all. They didn't do anything after no. this, pretty much. And they also kind of sucked uh, in this <laughs> match. Shane Hagedorn went on to be like a pretty good B-level character. Yeah, he's still in the wrestling business on one level or another. Davey Andrews was kind of promising. He had kind of a cool presence yeah. to him, but nothing really happened with him. He, he, I think he got out real fast. You know, it happens. It's not always the guys that are the best that stick around. In fact, it's rarely the guys that are the best that stick around. It's the guys who stick around that stick around, yeah. which is why Shane Hagedorn is still in the wrestling business and not Davey Andrews. So they're facing fucking Special K. Yeah. And now, Sp- Special K was a brilliant gimmick when it came out. A bunch of uh, the, the idea was that it was a bunch of rich, drugged up club kids from Long Island who didn't really care about what was going on as long as they were high all the time. Yeah. A- and paired with the trend in wrestling of guys who didn't put a lot of psychology into their matches and just did a bunch of crazy flippy moves one after another after oh, another man. or the JAPW light heavyweight crew. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So we get so the actual wrestlers in the match are Izzy, Dixie, Deranged and Angel Dust, who would later become Asriel. Um, And then they're uh, accompanied to the ring by Becky Bayless, Lacey, um, Cheech and Cloudy. Yeah. And uh, and but the the real story here is. um, Yeah. Becky and Lacey are somewhat there's some animosity between them and this ends up causing a rift in Special K which explodes at the end of this match. Um so before that uh we have Punk and and Gabe Sapolsky as Jimmy Bauer on commentary. CM Punk always great on commentary and it made sense especially for this match since it was his trainees. Though he didn't really have much yeah. to say about them. No, no, he didn't. <laughs> He was surprised and happy when they won, um, but that's pretty much it. He was just like, well, let's see what the kids got. Right. It's Davey Andrews. I have a title match, you know, and then he just kind of goes into all that. So Angel Dust accidentally hits Izzy, which causes him to get rolled up by Andrews, and the ROH students win. 
And then uh, Becky and Lacey get into it. And then eventually Becky, Angel Dust, and Dixie are jumped by the rest of them and are kicked out of the crew. And we get a promo at the end. About this was the first Ring of Honor match that we we like saw live, and it was definitely like a crazy spot fest. Uh, we didn't really realize that it was the end of this gigantic angle, like Special <laughs> K exploding. Um, and, you know, almost everybody involved in the group would fizzle out within Ring of Honor over the next year. It just it, it, it had run its course. Lacey yeah. stuck around a little while. Asriel was, I think, around longer than everyone else. Um, a little bit, yeah. Deranged was always my favorite. I always really liked Deranged, yeah. I've, I really saw knew. him not too long ago on on an indie show. He's still he's still around. He did a comeback, yeah. He actually apparently he had done two nights at this one indie whose name I'm not going to mention. Um, okay. And um, they uh, I I talked a friend of mine was working with them, and yeah. so he said, "Oh yeah, um, Derange took like a crazy spill the night before, and it, he looked like he was concussed, and he swore he wasn't concussed." When he showed up to work again tonight and I was watching the match and I'm pretty sure he was still concussed. Well, that was uh, that was a certain ideal at one point uh, that some guys can't just get out of. Yeah. And a lot of guys that learn how to work think that like no matter how injured they get, ah, it's all just safe, right? It's like, no, you're not. Please be careful. Okay, so after this match, uh, Samoa Joe has a promo, and we see that Ricky the Dragon Steamboat is in the building, which is cool. Yeah. You know, having... Serious clout there. Absolutely. Having Steamboat there really added a lot of um, gravity to the the main event and to the product as a whole. Now, they they used older-timers... Uh, very well in Ring of Honor when when they had them come through. You know, they didn't have too many of them, but they had enough. Everybody that came through and stuck around a little while meant something. They had they had Ricky Steamboat and Mick Foley debate like hardcore violent wrestling versus scientific traditional wrestling in front of the people. And that was a very good idea. The kind of thing that they'd never do in WWE or WCW or any place else. And to see the two of them act as like elder statesmen while the younger guys had the matches really helped everybody. It really legitimized a lot of guys. Yeah. And Steamboat comes out and says um, that Foley has no skill. Right. right. No wrestling skill. No wrestling skill. That's... And uh, Mick Foley said of uh, Ricky Steamboat that uh, if you're not good at hardcore wrestling, that means that uh, you must be good at softcore wrestling. Ooh. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. No, it's good stuff. <laughs> oh, and, and it's so interesting seeing. We'll, we'll talk about it a lot more, but Cornette here. And his attitude toward Ring of Honor versus, like, his attitude these days towards AEW and, like, just how the whole conversation has shifted in a lot of ways. Um, Okay. (laughs) So, all right. So now we get Jay Lethal. He's so young. He's so young. Against our our first glimpse of Prince Nana of Ghana, West Africa, with his weapon of mask destruction. Who I looked up, it was Flash Flanagan. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't matter, really. He, he was a guy at the time. So Lethal is up against the weapon of mass destruction. You know, Nana had this gimmick where he's the prince of Ghana, West Africa, and he always has to, like, raise taxes on the people of Ghana, West Africa to pay for his increasingly more powerful weapons of mass destruction. 
It was wonderful. It was, it was, it was good. He, he'd get a big rise out of the crowd by threatening that. Fucking hilarious. Yeah. Um, and uh, so Lethal's in this match. Lethal's technique is impeccable here. He's just so freaking good. Everything is incredibly crisp. Uh, he works this great mask, this match with, as CM Punk calls it, Ghana Mask. Right, Ghana Mask. He didn't want to say weapon of mask destruction every time. Yeah. And, uh, but then uh, Lethal wins with his crazy flipping dragon suplex. Looks right. great. Nana's pissed and says he's going to raise taxes in Ghana. Uh, he's going to take half of their $25 a week paycheck to pay for another uh, mask of, weapon of mask destruction at final battle. Great stuff. We're going to see more of, of Nana later, but. No, oh, yeah. He was incredible. So this was more or less just a showcase for Jay Lethal. They were trying to elevate Lethal, and it was working. You know, it really was. Uh, they knew that they knew that the kid had something, and like to this day, he's there. You know, he's the Ring of Honor franchise. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so okay, we get a flashback to Scramble Cage Melee, which we had covered on this podcast long, long ago. Long ago, yes. Um, in which uh, DeVito and Loke had eliminated Moff and Whitner and Whitmer. So just more of the history uh, involved in their feud. Um, Moff and Whitmer and Whitmer had won a hardcore match with McFoley as the ref. These guys and um, their na- their matches next. You know they were really the holdover from ECW. Right. The people yes. who were there to see the ECW style, they were into the the Carnage crew specifically. This Tony DeVito was in the dying days of ECW as one of the Baldies. Before uh, that, he, he was a jobber in WWF. Yeah. Yeah. And H.C. Loke was like the hardcore ref, which, you know, they the the genesis of H.C. Loke and Ring of Honor is him kind of disavowing that and being pissed that he never made it. It was a good enough gimmick, but it wasn't what I came to see. Was that the show where they were handing out CDs for his hardcore band too? Might have been the next one. No, no, that was uh, that was the next one I believe that we saw. That was the one we saw in Manhattan. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So this match is the Carnage Crew against Moff and Whitmer against the Outcast Killers of Oman Tortuga and Diablo Santiago, and Don and Marcos of the Ring Crew Express, <laughs> who I always really liked. Yeah, they had a good little act going. You know, they were they were on the ring crew to begin with, I guess. And uh, they would show segments with them putting up the ring and stuff like that. And they would, you know, crowds. They would had like a stage dive kind of top rope dive. They, would they, do. they had kind of a they had kind of a hair metal gimmick, which was a little against the grain at the time. And it was very basic. And uh, yeah, they were like, if, if, if Bill and Ted were wrestlers. Right. So we get a lot of spot fest nonsense here. Um, I, I especially like DeVito trying to suffocate someone with a pizza box. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not how that yeah. works. I don't think. Oh, you see, you see, Loke. Uh, we I remember we were we were right there when this happened. You see, Loke uh, uh, get into it with a fan. DeVito DeVito. You see DeVito get into it with a fan who moves like a chair that he was going to whip somebody into. Yes. So then, you know, he he whips one of the guys who, who does like a cannonball. And then instead of hitting a chair, it's nothing Ooh. and crashes to the floor. And I distinctly remember hearing hearing him say to the fan, like, don't ever move something a wrestler has placed. Yeah, we are. We are doing it for safety. Right. And then yeah. he just went back into the match. What a fucking asshole that fan was. Yeah, well, fandom was different at the time, too. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as wrestling had been opening up at the time, it hadn't been open for 20 years already. 
Um, so the fans were, were a lot more full of Marvel, I think. Yeah, and not used to the wrestlers coming out and brawling amongst them. Yeah. And they're like, oh, they're out here. Well, now we're part of it, <laughs> I suppose. Right. You're not really. No, no, no. There's a, always an invisible wall. Or should when, we? When The Rock and Austin did it in the WWE, there was a very visible wall of security guards. Uh, but that costs a lot of money. That's the real fourth wall in breaking in right. WWE, in, in wrestling, right? <laughs> when you go and you fucking punch the fan. Right. That's yeah. when you've broken the fourth wall in That's wrestling. That's when you've broken the fourth wall. That's when problems happen. <laughs> or the fan comes in the ring. I remember that one time the fucking uh, Rottweilers just really fucking kicked the shit out of some guy. Yeah, yeah. A guy gave him the ring and like they just you could tell like, oh no, that's what an actual punch looks like. Oh, there they go. There they go. This point this was right before you couldn't even get away with doing that anymore. Cause now like in the WWE, if you see, it's like the guys in the ring, like the wrestlers, will try very hard to ignore or stay away from any intruders and let security deal with it. Yeah. You know, but not because oh the guys can't handle themselves, but because they don't want to get sued. Right. Uh so um the the match ends with the outcast killers hitting a dropkick suplex combo on Marcos and beating him. And then uh the Carnage crew and Moff and Whitmer just continue battling up into the like upstairs in the yeah. in the skating in the rink Rexplex. part of the Rexplex. Yeah. And um and their their feud continues. So, you know, that was fun. That was the first time I think cuz at the USA Pro shows like I guess there was some brawling in the crowd, but the crowd wasn't so like clearly separated from the ring area. Yeah. Well, that it, that was the difference and we saw it there. That was the difference between like an indie show and a professional show yeah. that just wasn't on television. This was the first professional show we were at that like really sort of um permeated. There was a kind of barrier be- with between the wrestling and the crowd, but it was transgressed and these guys spilled out into the crowd. Yeah. So that was really fun to see. All right. So the uh, outcast killers come right back out with Prince Nana. And now <laughs> the crown jewel. I don't know if they were calling him the crown jewel yet of the embassy. Jimmy Rave. Jimmy Rave. Yes. Oh, he w- oh, that, that was the whole idea was that Jimmy Rave couldn't cut it in Ring of Honor. And then Prince Nana found him and uh, elevated him to be the crown jewel of the embassy. And the fans ate it up. They were like this undeserving guy. And then he had put the full force of the embassy behind him, and he started beating everybody. It was just great. He only got two rolls of toilet paper this show. This was before that became really big. The full waterfall, yeah. Um, So he's wrestling the pure champion for the pure championship. That's John Walters. Now, Walters was a guy like Jimmy Rave who came in and wasn't very interesting, um, and unlike Jimmy Rave, he'd never really found that other aspect to his character. He was a good wrestler, you know, a fine technical wrestler, but that was about it. Zero charisma. Um, I guess like it sort of made sense that he would be the pure champion. Um, but it just was not sustainable. So for those who don't know, a pure title match in ring of honor, uh, had special rules. Uh, instead of no countouts, which most Ring of Honor matches were at the time, a pure title match had twenty second, uh, twenty second count on the floor. Um, you got only three rope breaks, and after you used your three rope breaks, grabbing the rope would not break a submission hold or a pin, and your opponent could even use the ropes to their advantage against you. 
Uh, closed fists would be penalized first with a warning, and then everyone after the warning would be, uh, you would lose a rope break, and if you had no bro- rope breaks, you would lose the match, and you could lose the title on count out and disqualification. Um, Is that all? I think that's it, right? <laughs> Yeah, like, all that sounds excessive when you say it all, but once again, placed in context, we had gotten to a point in wrestling where the cool thing for so long was, like, no DQ, no rules, bending the rules, there are DQs, but the refs don't enforce them, endless just chairs and uh, and garbage can shots and tables that, okay, if we're not going to do the you know, the thousand thumbtacks title, we're going to do the actual wrestling title with all of these intricate rules to make sure you're just grappling. And it worked. And like you said, it did kind of fizzle itself out and they took it away at the right time. And they just recently brought it back. Yeah. They found a guy who could carry it in, in Jonathan Gresham, I think. You know? Yeah. And, and it's really interesting. Like the, the right champion and even Walters does it to some degree here. Can you, Walters is fine. Can work within the parameters of these rules and do a lot of interesting things, work interesting kinds of matches, interesting kinds of finishes. Um, and that's what we get here where he puts the sharpshooter on him and they roll to the to the floor and. Um, uh Rave at this it's point has no. Too. It's a good sharpshooter, yeah. Rave yeah. has no uh, rope breaks anymore, so no matter how much he grabs the ropes, uh, it doesn't matter. And so Walters uses that to drag him all the way out of the ring, and then holds him in the sharpshooter until almost the twenty count, and then runs in and wins by countout. It was a cool finish. Yeah, J- Jimmy Bauer on commentary notes it is the first countout in Ring of Honor history. <laughs> Because uh, he, there were there were no countouts in yeah, the rest of almost Ring of Honor three years it was pointless. Ring of Honor, yeah, yeah. Although, although we did see uh, later in the night, Todd Sinclair threatened to count out a team. Yeah, yeah. There were it some questionable rope break calls in this match. Like, oh, yeah. um, John Walters loses a rope break for a supposed closed fist that Todd Sinclair did not see. Jimmy Rave only made the sound. He clapped. Yeah. For sure. Which sounds much more like an open hand strike than a fist. Yeah, I mean, it was. There's no reason. There's no reason why Todd Sinclair ever should have (laughs) believed that that was a closed fist. Just saying. No, no, but but it, it did. It did its desired effect. The crowd hated it. And um, and they booed. You know, well, Jimmy Rave was the exception to a lot of the rules in Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor was very good at establishing their exceptions, and Jimmy Rave was one of them, and it pissed everybody off so much. Right. I think one of the things that we realized early on that maybe some of the real ROH faithful didn't was yeah. how much the whole pure wrestling thing was a work. Right. 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 That, exactly. That yeah. was their marketing ploy, you know, was to present themselves as honorable and pure wrestling and all this stuff. And then so the exceptions, as you were saying, came off as heels because they violated the covenant of pure wrestling that a lot of the fans genuinely believed in. As the people in charge of Ring of Honor shifted, the people in charge of Ring of Honor didn't realize that the whole pure wrestling Ring of Honor thing was a work in the first place. Right. And started being like, no, well, we're going to have real old school wrestling, which was not the point 
at all. Yeah. The point was people like young people in 2003 uh, were not did not have the same tastes as young people in 1995. And so just continuing to go down the like extreme alternative route wasn't right. working. So we're going in the other direction as a branding thing. Right. Really, the everybody who was still wrestling there were still cutting edge, future, forward looking wrestlers, right. you know, and they ended up doing whatever they wanted. So uh, I don't know. it's, it's funny it's watching too. this and thinking like at the time, it seemed so different from everything else that was around. And now I watch yeah. it and I'm like, oh, it's wrestling. You know? by, by now you've seen so much of it. Like you've they do so a lot. Wrestling. You know, they do a lot. There are yeah. probably more head drops. And there's the whole pure, there's a lot more like grappling than you'll see in most wrestling. And the matches are longer. Um, well, right. It was, we weren't used to going to shows where everybody was trying to have the best match. Right. That, that isn't the case anymore. This was a very sort of special time period in which you had this loaded roster of talent all given the freedom to try and have the best match every night. And it's really, you know, now that like we know a little bit more about pacing a wrestling show and now that you know there's there's so much um oversaturation of the wrestling market there's so much fucking wrestling that you need to pare it down or else you're gonna blow right. out your audience real quick now at the time the idea was well we need to put as much as possible on each release because the only thing you get is each release if you and you want your fans to buy all the dvds so you put out a four and a half hour DVD with a four hour show and a half hour promos and video packages and extra stuff. And maybe the fans will buy it and not watch it in one sitting. Maybe they'll take a week and watch a couple hours of it here and there. And once they're done with it, they'll hold the DVD and think, man, I got my money's worth out of this. Oh, the next one's coming out. I'd better get the next one. Yeah. And in that week that they spent to watch it, what happened? There was like Raw and SmackDown. You know, there weren't yeah. like another shows, 15 indie shows and Japanese shows and whatever else it was that you're able to access nowadays, you know? Yeah. In 2004, it was still really difficult to watch TNA. Right. Like they were on uh, they were on FS1, which is a big deal now, uh, or Fox Sportsnet, which is a big deal now. But at the time it had like it was like in the 15 biggest metropolitan areas and that's it. And yeah. like uh, it just didn't have penetration, you know. No, there was nothing else on television if you wanted wrestling. So, so now we get to the next match, and I think the the show probably could have started here. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, it's the first real kind of like semi main event, and it's one that I remembered. I was instantly, but, but that, instantly that impressed. Goes, hold on, hold on. You say that, and that's an interesting point. The show could have started here. This goes into what we were just talking about. If we were trying to chunk out what's the perfect single wrestling show, then yeah, we could have cut this basically into two shows and rearranged the matches. But since we're trying to overload quality on one release, right. you want to put as much on it as possible. And that's that's the biggest difference, I think, between well, the marketing of it then versus the marketing now. The other thing is, if you want to overload quality, I mean, you could have cut off everything up to this point and had just as much quality. 
Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, the first half of the show is fun and all, but yeah, yeah. But but you uh, you then Austin Aries and Loki come out. You wouldn't have had that hardcore match for the hardcore fans, and yeah. you wouldn't have had that flippy match for the flippy fans, and like you know, yeah, yeah. they were trying to to get everybody as well. So not everybody was you know had the taste for like a a, a well paced serious wrestling main event. Okay, so we get Austin Aries versus Loki, uh, number one contenders match for the ROH title. Loki, having been the first ROH champion, the legend, he had recently returned and joined Homicide and Julius Smokes and the Rottweilers. Man, Julius Smokes is fucking ridiculous. He's fucking great. He's, he's a cartoon character. He's great. And he really seemed like he could just go off the handle and kill you. Yeah. And that's, that's, really, that's hard. The way he stare at the camera and smile with all of his gold teeth and everything, like, yeah. had that, yeah, that psychopath look to him. Uh, yeah, great. Great character. Great, great manager. So, yeah, we have the gangsta key with, with one pant leg up. <laughs> right. Um, L- Loki was on fire at this point, um, and uh, Austin Aries was just starting to really establish himself. And they go at it. Well, they little really did they, it. little did we know that they were getting Aries ready to be the champion, right? Um, so yeah, they had a hell of a fucking match here. It's just so good. The quality, it's just speaking of quality, is just on such a different level from everything else up to this point, and from most everything else on the show. These two are just, you know, it doesn't get any better in terms of like athletic. Um, innovative moves, but also good ring psychology and good pacing. The thing about these matches is they're well-paced. A lot of, like, from here on, the matches are well-paced, they have good ring psychology, they have good structure, but they also have a million crazy moves worked into that structure. They're all about 20 minutes or so or more. Which is why the show is so long. It's not that there are that many matches. It's just that everything gets all this time. Yeah, Loki managed to look like a, you know, he he moved and, and and carried himself like he was a fighting game character, which was kind of a new thing at the time to try and lean into that heavily in wrestling. Like it was it was a hard kind of push to get video game culture really into mainstream culture, which it is now. Um, but at the time, it was still like, you know, gamers were looking at each other like we we spent all this money on all these games. We know you're all playing something. It wasn't until like the mobile revolution and everybody started playing Candy Crush. That's like, OK, I guess yeah. video games. And there you go. And, you but know, he, he got himself like a fighting game character, those double stomps and just the way he moved and looked and all. And sure enough, he's like the main motion capture guy for the WWE games. Right. <laughs> Um, he can do that. Dude, that was I'm pretty sure that was the first time I saw that double stomp in the corner that he did that the whole crowd right. went absolutely nuts for. Um the fucking reversal of the key crush into the crucifix bomb yep, by Austin Aries. Bomb. Fucking amazing. Um uh then Aries hits the 450 and right before the third count, the time limit expires. The 20 minute time limit. And then this was a fucking genius heel thing. So Gary Michael Capetta comes out and he says the match will continue for five minutes if the fans want it. So, of course, the fans want it. Gary Michael Capetta 
who of course was like the the WWF ring announcer in the late seventies right. and early eighties. He's as old school as they come, and he's like crowd pandering, like you'd see you know at any arena in the eighties. Does everybody want more wrestling? <laughs> Yay, more wrestling, and it worked so well. And what especially works is the people are ready for their fucking five more minutes, and Loki's like, hell no, like I only got paid for twenty minutes. Like, or I only signed, signed on for a 20 minute match. Yeah, yeah. I'm not giving you no five more minutes. And then he leaves. Right. Boo. Which Boo. is great because since he refused to do the five minutes, ROH has reason to give Aries the title shot. But there's still this unsettled thing with Loki. So then when Aries ends up in a shocker beating Samoa Joe at, I think the next show was Final at Battle. The next show, yeah. Um, Now it's like, oh, well, he still hasn't beaten Loki. That's a nice way to say Loki didn't do any jobs. Loki um, never did. Even when they did finally have the match, <laughs> they had to make it non-title uh, because right. Lo- we were there for that one at the future we is now because Loki had to fucking win. Fucking Loki. Well, he didn't want to mess with his Noah dates. He was a he was a B-string light heavyweight. Right, right. The, right. It's so funny, though, because he spent so many years building up all that cred in Japan. And then when he was finally getting to the top of New Japan, I mean, I kind of understand this, but they were going to tour Fukushima and he didn't think it was safe. And so he just parted ways with New Japan. After all that time, it's crazy. Yeah. Turns out it was fine. Anyway, yeah. we'll move on. Yeah, L- Loki is a, is an interesting case in wrestling history. He's still kicking at it. He's he's wrestling for MLW now. Um, so next we get Nigel McGuinness, the great Nigel McGuinness, and Chad Collier, uh, a fine technical wrestler, of a, a very fine technical wrestler, trained by Dean Malenko. He does some shit in this match that I loved. That I was like, oh, I, I don't remember that. Like, that's a really cool little reversal and shit like that. Of course, yeah, he wasn't a very interesting character, but he could wrestle the fuck. Him and Nigel both, and Ricky Reyes, and especially Rocky Romero, the tag team champions, the Havana Pitbulls. Just oh, yeah, they were great. A ton of fantastic technical wrestling in this match. They just, they grapple. They, Nigel does the European style. Um, Collier does his malenko influence style. He basically wrestles just like Dean Malenko. I really like the extended uh, Nigel upside down in the corner spot, mm. you know, because Nigel would perplex his opponents by doing a headstand in the corner. <laughs> yeah, you know, his opponent would start coming at him and Nigel would put his foot down to kick him and then the, they'd back off and he'd just stay there and wait for the, the guy to either grab him or do something that Nigel could take advantage of. He won several matches out of that puzzle. And it wasn't until uh, you know, we saw. Uh, one time him faced Samoa Joe and he went up for it and Joe just ran over and kicked, kicked him, in the, him face. in the face. It was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm surprised everybody didn't do that after that. Um, another thing I liked was Collier and McGinnis doing the like Garvin holds. Yeah. Like going around his body, both like putting holds on him. That was fun. Um, at the end, there's uh, some interference by Julius Smokes. And uh, the Pitbulls hit their finisher, the Cuban Missile Crisis. A, uh, Is that what they called it? Top rope knee drop backbreaker, yes. All right, well, that was a good move. Um, and they win it. And then some kid shows Julius Smokes his ass. Some kid in the crowd. <laughs> While this was happening, Gabe mentions the three laws of honor. I had forgotten that there were specifically three laws of honor. It was like you shake hands before and after yeah, every before match. Before and after each match. Um, no weapons. 
Um, leave leave the chairs at home, guys. What was the third one? I don't know. I, uh, no outside interference? Yeah, I, I think no outside interference. At this point, it was all pretty soft. The handshake thing was pretty enforced. It was just that as a baseline, though, really separated them from uh, from the rest, from a lot of the indies that were chasing the the glory days of ECW, which were over, and had been. It's, it was it wasn't quite time for the WWE to completely ruin the legacy of ECW. <laughs> right. but soon, okay. Soon. So Jim Cornette comes out, and he welcomes Heenan, and I'm you know okay maybe they were the two two greatest managers, but in my mind. Cornette can't touch Heenan at all. Like Cornette no, is nowhere near, nowhere near Heenan. And Heenan knows that. You see when Heenan comes out, he knows that. And I think Cornette knows it too. I mean, he's playing it up because he knows heel exactly here. what he's doing. Yeah, this yeah. is like, uh, this came off to me as too long, but trying to put myself way into too long. It, it wasn't actually too long. These were two of the biggest stars on the show, and they had their segment with the two of them verbally right. sparring in the ring. Cornette did his act. Heenan did his act. It was all fine. It's being there to watch it now. Being there was was different, too. Yeah. But they, yeah, they put over our which eventually, of course, Cornette turns on him. Um, now, when he turns on him, it's funny because, you know, Cornette. I remember watching his shoot interviews around this time. And I remember him saying like, yes, you know, indie wrestling is mostly trash, but ring of honor, you know, I don't know how it is. You do it. I I don't know how it works, but it works. And there was something he liked about ring of honor. Of course, once we saw, once he was in control of ring of honor years later, that what he liked about it wasn't really what we liked about it. Bring in the the DQs. Yeah. Bring Um, in the DQs. But it's interesting. Kevin Steen's too fat to be a star. That kid will never get over. Right, yeah. Yeah. So Cornette says something really weird here. Where Right before he turns on Heenan, he's like, oh, now you're going to, now all of you smart fans probably think this is where all the wrestling angle stuff comes in. And that's the kind of thing that Cornette would fucking tear someone apart for doing nowadays. Like, you know, pointing out yeah. that it's, you know... Cornette, for all his bluster, was always the first one in line to do the shoot interviews. He did right. shoot stuff on Raw in 1999, right, right. you know, complaining about WCW and Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage hanging on and complaining about Shawn Michaels being a crybaby in the WWF. And like, and he he's also has always been aware of the irony in all of this. He knows what he's doing now, too. Right. I don't he's a, like he's it, a but he knows yeah. that he's, yeah. There That's are fans his brand. That, exactly. There are fans that will line up and eat that shit up all the time. Just some guy being like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Back in the day, <laughs> these guys are stupid, and I have names for all these guys that you're going to say to people who don't listen to the show, and they're going to go like, what? And that's how <laughs> his fandom works. But the truth is, the Jim Cornette Experience, or whatever it's called, is one of the biggest wrestling podcasts. He has a gigantic audience, and I'm not among them anymore. Right. I, I never listen to his podcast. I don't, you know, I would listen to Jim Cornette talk about anything that happened before the, the, the late 90s at this point. Because mm. he's an excellent historian. Yeah. But around 96, 97, you know, basically as soon as Vince Russo comes in, like, yeah, Vince Russo has his own set of problems. But ever since he had any influence on wrestling, Jim Cornette has just kind of hated all of it. And I don't care. I don't want to hear it. Mm. 
It's over, man. Yes, I know. Wrestling was best in the mid '80s. Coincidentally, when you were on top, right? Right. right. When when you were headlining the arenas and then going to party at the heel bars afterwards, <laughs> where the real parties were at, where oh, Ric Flair man. was buying everybody drinks all night long. Yeah, that's when wrestling was clearly the best, buddy. All right. So, um, th- they make the tag match. Uh, Jack Evans and Roderick Strong come out to attack Heenan. And then Jimmy Jacobs and Cole they Cabana defend very carefully him. rough up Bobby Heenan. <laughs> very carefully, yeah. And they make it a tag match for later. Jimmy Jacobs has a spike in his hand for some reason. I don't know. Part of the Brody tribute, I think. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Backstage, uh, GMC's with the embassy. And I just want to... And then um, we get a, a promo with Special K. I just wanted to point out they're all eating brownies. Like, that's yes, their they're thing They're all tonight. eating brownies. Some of them were eating the ones on the outside were eating brownies during the the match. You saw nice. them come out with them. Yeah, they, they always found the cameras um, on the way to the ring, and especially the ones that weren't wrestling that night would come up to them and demonstrate what drugs they were on. Uh, right. It was it was very funny. So now uh, we get Jerk Jackson versus Trent Acid, and I believe this is only weeks before Acid's death. Right. He died very shortly after this, I think. I'm going to look that up. I think he... No, he hung on a little while longer. He did not look like he was in very good shape, in a very good state of mind. No. For this He was very charismatic. He looked like the kind of guy that if he got his shit together... Oh, yeah. He hung on until 2010, man. No. Oh, oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I saw him at least... For some reason, I thought I remembered him dying very soon after this. Okay. Um... Yeah, he's he's not he looks very disheveled. CM Punk points that out quite CM a bit. CM Punk does nothing but bury him the entire time on commentary. I think this might have been this is one of his last appearances in Ring of Honor. I think it might be the last. Yeah. At least appearance in Ring of Honor. Um they announce him as weighing nine and a half inches. Yeah, that's that's what he wanted to be <laughs> announced as. Uh, he eventually he gets beat up for about five minutes and then hits the shovel driver or whatever, and wins the match. Um, Before that, now the commentators, just for this match, are Punk and Mark Nulty, who Punk would refer to as Nutley, which I always found humorous. town in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. And would always just shit on Nutley, because Nutley seemed like such a fucking dweeb, and would mispronounce everybody's names. And uh, I love him being like, but the promoter told me it was pronounced Cabana. It's like, well, it's not. <laughs> Ask us. Oh, yeah, man. so mo- most of the match was Jerk Jackson throwing around Trent Acid and then Trent Acid making all of his offense look terrible by hitting him with two moves and then winning like he's Bill Goldberg or something. Yeah. Uh, it's worth noting that Jerk Jackson is now uh, known as Bobby Fish um, on uh, on NXT. Oh, been... I did not make that connection really? at all. Oh, yeah, no, because no he, he was idea. a journeyman for years. He was always well put together. He could always have a decent match, but he just never broke through like the indie zeitgeist until years later. Plus, Jerk Jackson is a stupid name. Well, uh, he was he eventually figured out. Yeah, he was going by Bobby Fish in Noah like two years after this. Yes, yes, he changed it up. Uh, but yeah, this is a this is a young Bobby Fish trying to, oh, you know, shit. he got a gig with Ring of Honor, you know. Having to put over this this guy, <laughs> this uh, early indie superstar that just couldn't handle it. All right, so moving on, Allison Danger gets the Carnage crew to sign the the contract for the the fight without honor. They want yes. a lap dance from her. They're pigs. That's that's, that's the that's deal. That's how that goes. 
All right, now we get the Heenan team against the Cornette team. Uh, Jack Evans and Roderick Strong of Generation Next come out to Astronomy Domine by uh, Pink Floyd. I always like that. And Colt Cabana and Jimmy Jacobs come out to actual Copacabana, which was Colt's right. theme music at the time. That was before Colt had that rap commissioned. Um, they, they did all that great shit with the chain. They did all of this old school manager into oh, man. uh, stuff, except usually the heels would do that, but the babyface did. Right, you know, the babyface. Heenan. Because Heenan, yeah, well, you know, you get old enough and being a heel is cute and all the heel shit that right. you do is cute. Um, and yeah, that was that was all brilliant. Um, getting it, the the headlock, the chain, hiding the chain in the headlock and the armpit in his mouth. And then when he slickly hands it back to Heenan, that's when it gets the pop. Perfect so timing. Good. It was all just so good. They they completed the loop and successfully hit it from the ref. You know, they're very uh, and and this is the thing. Yeah, they're doing old school tag wrestling, and I'm sure Jim Cornette is thinking, yeah, we're gonna bring back old school tag wrestling. But the smart fans in the audience are treating it like an old band came out to play an old hit right. that they all knew and really liked. That doesn't mean that you want you know the band you don't want to buy the band's new album. But you want to hear them play their old hit, and that's yeah. what it was. And you might want to hear instead of you might. I mean, they did they did bring out the Midnight Express at a previous show. Right. But instead of getting the old tag teams to do it, they put the spotlight on all the new guys who are perfectly capable of doing it and doing it in a cool way, like you know, an updated cover of an old song, like right. like Cabana and Jacobs doing an awesome fucking Bushwhackers battering ram, but like with actual impact to it. Yeah, worked real well. Um, and Jack Evans is just fantastic. He's hilarious. made of rubber at this point. Him, him, and him playing like rubber man to Cabana, just outsmarting him at every run. Or, great. Like him doing his like fancy uh, breakdance backflip thing, and then Cabana just doing a normal front roll <laughs> right. in response to, to the crowd. To raucous notes. applause. Yeah. To, yeah, that that the crowd pointing out that Evans had been served. Right. By that. Of course he had. Um, he also, man, Cabana hits the cold 45 which you didn't see that often, and it's great, yeah. man. It's absolutely devastating. Someone else should bring absolutely that back. Um, so, yeah, eventually um, the, the Cornette introduces the tennis racket, hits Cabana with it, but Heenan gets in, hits Cornette with the racket, and eventually uh, Cabana gets to pin Jack Evans, and yay, the baby faces win. Big old baby faces and heels kind of exhibition match. Everybody was very happy with it all. Uh, Heenan and uh, Cornette got their shines in. Uh, the spotlight was put on the new guys. It was all done just so damn well. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All, all great. I can't. Yeah, yeah I came stuff. around. Uh, I think I came out of that match really liking Cole Cabana. <laughs> More than <laughs> He's anything. very charismatic. Um, all right. So now we get Homicide versus Brian Danielson. And this match is really um, important to me and really notable because Brian Danielson is possibly my favorite wrestler of all time. Um, it's, it's pretty close between him and Brett. And this was the very first time I had ever seen or heard of him. And he made very little impression on me. To the point where I think like they had a match at the next Ring of Honor show we went to. Which may be the worst ever Brian Danielson match because it was a taped fist match. Um, and I don't think I even remembered at the time that we had already seen them fight each other this first time. It made yeah, so yeah, little it, impression on me. 
they, they they fought each other several times. And like, yeah, I agree with you. Of all the matches on this show, this one made the least impression on me too, despite the fact that I love both guys now. Yeah. You know, and shortly thereafterwards. Danielson right. was very much in a transitional period for his character. Like, there's the early Brian Danielson in Ring of Honor where he's basically like the karate kid, kind of, you know, he's just a young, super plucky baby face. They wanted to make him more serious. Like, I think Gabe already had in mind that Danielson would be the champion soon. But he, he may have invented the first Ring of Honor show. Everybody knew how good he was, but he just hadn't found himself yet. Yeah. And so um, now he's got, like, the worst theme music fucking ever. It's like America the Beautiful into self-esteem by the offspring. It just didn't fit. No, and he's wearing, like, a robe, and he's bald. He's wearing a black velvet robe that covers his entire body in a hood. It's like a druid's robe or something. He's so white, he's fucking, like, translucent under the lights. Um, yeah. He's just like, yeah, he he hadn't figured it out yet. He hadn't figured out the character. All, the next year, he went to England for a few months and came back the best wrestler in the world. He <laughs> was almost there. He, yeah, but he was very much yeah. not there. Like, he was more there in 2002 at this point than he was at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah, he needed he needed to go figure, figure it out, and he did. But I love Gabe pointing out, like, or maybe it was Nulty, uh, Nutley, whatever. I think it was Gabe. Um, Brian Danielson is now angry for the first time in his career. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting observation. I noted that as well. Every other time he wrestled, it was purely the sport of moves and <laughs> right. joint manipulation and pinfalls. Now he has a reason to fight. Um so this match was 25 minutes long. Oh, so long. At and, one point, uh, Danielson yeah. is like trying to act tough. And he's like, come right here, right here, homicide. And he's just pointing at his dick with both fingers. Yeah. Not not a he, good he doesn't. He, he figured that out soon thereafter, once again. Yeah. When he, he stopped, be, he knew at this point that just being the guy that can do all the moves wasn't going to get him to the top of wrestling. You needed yeah. to play the guy who knew all the moves. Right, right. That's a very subtle difference. Absolutely. But it's a very important difference. Once he played the guy who knew more wrestling than you and he knew it and he wasn't afraid to show it to you and then he'd smile at the crowd like, you know, I'm better at this than this guy. Are you kidding me? And then do something else. Then it was great. Uh, Homi- at this point, he was just doing moves. Homicide's kind of funny. and He just randomly calls someone in the audience cocksucker. Is that right. a nowhere? <laughs> What's the homicide version of just turning to the crowd and saying "shut up" and then everyone cheers? Yeah, right. Except right. Uh, homicide. I love when Danielson has him in the airplane spin, uh, and and homicide has double middle fingers out the entire time he's spinning around. Yeah. Um, no, because he's angry. He doesn't want to be in the airplane spin. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Nutley who uh, or Nulty, right? That. Um, observed that he preferred homicide as a wrestler than a brawler right he was a good brawler but really his strength is that he was an excellent amateur wrestler and could take you to the mat and stretch you also yeah two years after this danielson and homicide had a great roh title match uh possibly possibly the best booked match ever for me like the the best like storyline leading up to a satisfying satisfying conclusion yeah even though I didn't like the conclusion. No, no, we were big Danielson fans. We were big Danielson fans, but it made perfect sense for Homicide to beat Danielson. Um, In this match, he doesn't beat Danielson. He hits him with one low blow. Second low blow is blocked, and Danielson 
pulls him into a double chicken wing pin. And then the Rottweilers come in and fucking beat the shit out of Danielson. They sell like they're trying to take out one of Danielson's eyes. Yeah, no, they look dangerous. Like, I was always kind of scared of the Rottweilers. It was a great stable. They they played it so well. And that was Loki and uh, uh, the Havana yeah. Pitbulls and J-Train. Uh, Julius don't, don't they know that, that we don't have shenanigans like this in Ring of Honor? <laughs> don't they realize that? Yeah. There's, there's no place in Ring of Honor for this. Okay, so now before the main event, um, we get uh, yeah. CM Punk and Gabe Sapolsky offering an analysis of the two one-hour draws between Punk and Joe. And um, uh, Punk makes a really interesting point that all of Joe's previous title defenses before their first match didn't go past 20 minutes. So Punk, right. as a strategy, as a like K- in kayfabe strategy, wanted to try to slow things down and think maybe he could wear out Joe if the match went out over 20 minutes. So he just went hard in the fucking headlock game. And, uh, and that's pretty much what he did for... <laughs> Both matches, headlock to sleeper, um, and uh, yeah, and and the this the the first the two one hour draws are fairly similar in a lot of ways. There's a couple of variations. I I had forgotten that um, the first time Joe ever did that thing, where the guy's going for the blind crossbody, and Joe just <laughs> casually walks Joe out walks of the way. Away, yeah. yeah, that was in that second hour draw. That's so brilliant. He still does that when he can. It just looks great. He never does it and you see it coming. He always like manages to make you forget that he's going to do that at some right. point. So now we get this third match. And yeah, and I, I think uh, as you were telling me over uh, text, Doc, I think this yeah. is absolutely right. You know, having that analysis of the first two matches added a huge amount to the experience of the third oh, match yeah. here. Uh, for anyone who hadn't seen them, or even if you had, you know, them like pointing out the story that they were telling across the trilogy. It also acted as an excellent advertisement to go buy them. Right. You know, you're going to see the third one on this. Have you not seen the first two? You should see the first two. Now available at the Ring of Honor website. So, all right, here's this fucking main event. And, you know, we were there for it. And it was everything that we could hope that it would be. You know, Punk comes out to AFI. He has this very dramatic entrance. Joe's got his, uh, the champ is here entrance and the crowd knows everything about it, right? Like the whole crowd is primed for every aspect of these entrances. They're very, um, interactive in that way. They've, if they haven't been to ring of honor shows before, they've seen the tapes, they've seen the DVDs, they've seen the experience and the production and they want to be part of it. So they come to the show and do it no different than the WWE does. And this was the difference between Ring of Honor and like the other indie shows we went to, like the other indie shows we went to. Yeah, the the indie fans knew who the indie guys were and they were hot for some of the, you know, some of the in-house matches. But really, it was like, oh, we get to see Balls Mahoney and uh, and chill with our friends. No, you went to the Ring of Honor show that night because there was a world title match happening. Between the two top guys. And it had that feel, 100%. The ambiance was all there, that this was a huge fight. And uh, the the beginning of it is great. They're feeling it out. Punk can't get the headlock at first. Joe keeps knocking him off. And then when he finally gets it, he's like, I've got you now, motherfucker. (laughs) So good. Right. Um, Good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Just everything... 
everything in this match uh, is is really interesting. It's just they're they're engaging from from the beginning to the end. It didn't go an hour. It went about forty minutes, I'd say. Yeah, with the entrances. Um, well, they purposefully were like the no time limit stipulation was there, but then they bust Punk open. And Punk is bleeding right. pretty heavily. You know, he you know he wears the crimson mask. It wasn't like scary or anything. Yeah. But that is a signal. Hey, maybe we're not going an hour if you're bleeding ten minutes into the match. Right. And when he started bleeding, uh, Nolte points out like there's this flurry of knee strikes from Samoa Joe that busts him open. And Nolte points out that Joe never got into that kind of gear in either of the first two matches. <laughs> That's a good observation. Yeah, this was the first time he really let loose on Punk, and that would end up allowing him to get the victory right. this time. So, but before that, he puts him in the sleeper the first time, and uh, the the ref calls for the bell because he thinks Punk is out, and Steamboat says, "No, no, he stirred. He's he's not out," and he's... stops the timekeeper the timekeeper from ringing the bell, and then sure enough, Sinclair. Uh, restarts the match. Now, Steamboat came out before the match to kind of announce that he was going to be sitting at ringside as a fan, and he sat right next to the timekeeper so he could do that. Mm. You know, yeah, Sinclair turned around, saw Punk's hand was moving, and then they just kept wrestling. Uh, it was all kind of for naught in the end, though. Samoa right. Joe did eventually, after two and a half hours of wrestling over the course of three matches, he finally beat CM Punk. Yeah. You know, um, he finally does get him in. You know, he keeps going back to the choke. He keeps going back to the sleeper. Right. And he, Punk finally succumbs to it. I love Gabe's call. Punk isn't breathing. He's not breathing. He's <laughs> not breathing. <laughs> but before. Clear put his hand to Punk's mouth and didn't feel any breath. He didn't breath. feel any breath. <laughs> fucking Gabe screaming at the top of his voice. Yeah, Sounds like he's over. about to have a fucking stroke. He put it over like few people. His 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 commentary was fairly unrefined, but it was good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. dangerous. Um, I love. There's that one moment where Joe is getting desperate, and he pins Punk and puts his feet on the ropes, and the crowd yeah. boos. He gets more heat for putting his feet on the ropes than the fucking Rottweilers got for their like five on one beatdown. Right. Um, 25 minutes into this match, he does that. Yeah, the Ring of Honor champion yeah. would fucking stoop to taking an unfair advantage by putting his feet on the ropes. The crowd's like, fuck you, Joe. That, I think, that moment made more of an impression on me than anything else the entire night. Like, that moment yeah, showed me what Ring of Honor was really about. Right, they built this moment. Um, to, to, to make so much of an impact. And because, yeah, we've seen a million beatdowns, but we hadn't seen somebody do something so fundamental so uh, perfectly. Joe said in, in, the, in the shoot interview him and Punk did after all of this, shortly before Punk went to the WWE, that uh, that, that spot was Ricky Steamboat's idea. He said that Steamboat came up to, you know, the both, bam up basically to the both of them and was like, you know, Joe, you, you've been champ a long time. Do you like ever cheat in your matches? And he's like, well, not really. I mean, I'll throw a punch and all. He's like, yeah, put your feet on the ropes. And he said that him and Punk kind of thought like, oh, yeah, I mean, that old fashioned, it's not going to work. And then they came back to each other half an hour later. Like, that's the greatest idea we've ever heard. That's going to work better. And then they kind of chided each other for not thinking Ricky Steamboat knew what he was talking about. Because, of course, he does, you know, and that's also what I. I mean by using the old timers properly right. as minds at your shows also ones that are willing to accept that you're doing something new so maybe try this 
along with it. And who, for yeah. those fans who had seen every single one of Joe's title defenses and knew that right. he always fought with honor, they were they were not ready for that moment at all, and they responded to it accordingly. And I think it's also important to point out that that wasn't the finish. Right, like Punk kicked out. Right, right, right. It wasn't that he beat him while cheating. It's that he would dare try in the first place. That's one of the amazing things about uh, Gabe's booking, too, is that he built this rivalry between Joe and Punk. They were clearly each other's main rivals. And yet, Punk was not the one to defeat Samoa Joe. In fact, it was the right. next show where Austin Aries came out of nowhere and beat him. Yeah, it was a huge shocker, um, but it was properly timed. It all it all flowed into each other. I mean, you want to do it before everybody thinks it's going to happen anyway. And Joe had been champ for almost two years. Uh, it was good. And besides, Punk beat Aries. But that's another Punk story. did eventually beat Aries. <laughs> that's right. That's a whole other story. Oh, yeah. Well, hopefully we'll get to that eventually in yeah, this we'll podcast. See. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed um, Doc and I going down memory lane for this one. And, you know, I would definitely recommend watching this show. I don't know if you want to watch all of it. Um, definitely see the main event. Ch um, find, seek out the Joe Punk trilogy if you've never yeah. seen them before. Yeah, that's worth seeing, um, especially if you're involved with wrestling. If you've never seen those matches, it's worth checking out what the uh, what the big deal was. I would suggest watching the Heenan Cornette tag match um, and the, the Aries Samoa Joe match is great. You know, all of it is fun. Like, I, you know, you got to If you've never seen Prince Nana, seeing his segments is <laughs> oh, yeah. are, that, that's extremely entertaining always. Um, but yeah, you know, I'd like to do more of these Ring of Honor shows, but they're so fucking long. I think yeah, so long. we're gonna have to restrict ourselves to like a few matches on each one, maybe. Yeah, we'll we'll see how it if goes. We we're not going to do too many of these. Like, it's pretty self indulgent of us, but we we right. are taking some time to do that, and we're going to yeah. do this at least while one or Evan's two more not times. here. Yeah, yes, yeah, so while Evan's not. Here. This is the first time it's just the two of us, which is kind of cool yeah. for this one. Um, well, it's indicative of something that, like, you know, Katie didn't want to watch this show. We didn't have any guests, who so were like, "Oh yeah, I want to watch four and a half hours of Ring of Honor." So, but we did it. Uh, because yeah. we wanted to. It's funny though. Like, it was fine. You know, in my gilded memory, like this is one of the greatest wrestling shows <laughs> of all time. Oh um, uh, yeah, yeah. When you were nineteen. Right? Yeah, but it went to the it's greatest not. show ever. I still think there's a couple of other Ring of Honor shows that I always thought were better than this one. That I still think were probably among the best wrestling shows of all time. To, to this day, but we'll see. Love Manhattan Mayhem. Manhattan yeah, Mayhem. Glory by Honor. Five this, Night yeah. Two. Right, but this final was just battle of six. This was just the first one we went to. Right, right. I mean, it was a big show, but it was just the first one we went to. Yeah. We were exposed to all these guys, and we, we got to see this whole new style that had been developing outside of the WWE. And it became very important to the development of wrestling. Indeed. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much for your continued support, premium subscribers. We love you. Happy New Year. Be safe and, uh, yeah, best of luck in this new year and hopefully a much better year than the last. Yeah, we, we, we hope that's true. Um, right, so this has been Contesting Wrestling Premium. Thank you all very much for listening. We love you. Peace. Good night. Peace.